0: Hi, I'm Ernest from TechChill and you're listening to TechChill Podcast. Here we share news and interviews from our various events and speak with changemakers from different fields. Today we talk about the holy grail, the work-life balance in a startup world and entrepreneurship in general. Entrepreneurs usually do not have exact working hours. They just work all the time. That is not sustainable in the long term. So, here are some tips to balance your life while still doing what you love from Luisa Bubanova, CEO at UFirst AI.
1: Luisa, how are you doing?
0: I'm a little nervous.
1: You're a little nervous. That's okay.
0: But I was told in the backstage that being nervous is good because I really care.
1: Yeah, nervous energy is actually a good thing. We we like nervous energy. Um, You know, talking about mental health in general, Louisa. tell us a little bit about your sort of origin story of of how you started you first, just so that everyone can get a picture of what you're doing.
0: So, um, I think that the very um, descriptive characteristic of myself is uh, just being out of my comfort zone. I am a big believer of of, uh, the theory that if you're staying in your comfort zone, nothing special really happens. So I kept on throwing myself into situations that uh, eventually uh, evolved into you first, but this is my fourth company now. Um, One was a complete failure when we had a dispute that ended up (laughs) between the the founders. One of them was just like, meh, I don't care about this anymore. And the third one was a little bit of an exit, but a really, really tiny one. Um, So experience kind of grew grew, uh, because I was never afraid to go into places where other people maybe didn't feel secure. And uh, coming from Slovakia, which is a obviously a post-communistic country, we were all th- taught at school that um, having a s- solid, stable job and, and security is the, is the way to go. And I kind of always rebelled against that. So I think that's, that's what brought me here, but also it brought me to um, to this topic of mental health. And I think that with Stuart, we um, kind of connected over this, this topic because it uh, really became an important, um, issue to, well, to talk about, and and uh, every single founder should really um, understand that their psyche is, is is a vulnerable thing and it can break, you don't even know when.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard, I've been a, a founder of several companies myself, you know, we're talking the same language, that's one of the reasons we connected in the first place, and You know, I don't really feel a lot of times that uh, people that are getting themselves into this understand necessarily the pressures that await them. You know, sometimes it's it's their first foray into this, and so everything is uh, completely unknown. You know, what can we tell people about what it takes to really be a a founder of something? Um, What are some of the issues that you've faced with any of your companies um, that have you know, really caused you serious issues and and caused you uh you know those problems where you are worried about your mental health state in those in those moments
0: I think a very important part is to understand that people have uh, different perceptions of things um just like I'm looking at three bottles of water somebody else can remember something completely, completely different about the same picture and it's very important to understand and even uh, if a daily communication um um that the message that you're trying to send might be perceived very differently, and therefore there there are situations that might become very emotional, mm. and uh, keeping those emotions under under certain control is is crucial to um, growing basically. Um, so when it comes to like good advices. Uh, of how to become a founder, I think learning to observe yourself is is crucial to to then understanding what really drives you, what really stops you from from being productive, and uh, and uh, how it affects your um, stage, whether it's mental or even physical sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, t- tell me about specific examples where uh, you know you had an issue come up and. You were worried about, uh, you know, way that was affecting you.
0: Well, it was actually quite recently when we were raising our third uh, third round of investment, and uh, things were getting a little, um, let's say, lengthy, and um, it meant that we all had to uh, had to go to our home offices because we were just trying to uh, trying to save money as mu- uh, as much as possible, which obviously meant to a stage where everybody or i mean all the team members were actually communicating online and i realized that it was basically bumping me down and um my family saw that uh and obviously the people that love you the most they care about you the most and when they see you going down they're trying to save you and this was the most uh the worst part of of the whole process when when your family starts to tell you give up Yeah. that's that's the worst because they actually get into you they get under your skin so this was for me this was the hardest hardest part where i had to understand that me going down with uh, with um, the mood or motivation or productivity is was the the reason because my my kind of passion and belief was a little little bit uh, touched with uh, my closest people actually which is yeah. kind of ironic
1: how do you cope with that when when the people that care about you the most question what you're actually doing and question your, your passion in that way?
0: Yeah, I think this is, this is something that will come up in every founder's story, especially when, uh, when you're doing something that uh, you're believing is new and disruptive. Uh, your closest people will question you the most. And um, it's, therefore, it becomes a really lonely lonely kind of path. So be ready for that. It's not going to be like everybody's your friend and and they're all supporting you and they all see that you're going to do great or whatever. They are not going to be believers. Not in the wrong way. It's just they're protecting you, and that protection is is uh, um, is hard to sw- hard to cope with. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you have any particular coping mechanisms for that? Is Is there something you'd personally do that is going to you know make that much much better? Music. Music,
0: music, absolutely uh. music and because um, I love all sorts of sorts of music but I've learned a very good trick so when you find out there is a let's say a good DJ or a good, good um, performer um, performing somewhere close to you, I learned to put my, my alarm clock for 3am in the morning so I go to sleep, wake up at 3am, go to see the, see the whatever I want to see yeah. and then go back to sleep. And it just makes me happy, and I'm full of energy, and nothing, nothing is, nothing is broken <laughs> from the from the real productive cycle.
1: Uh, we also share a love of uh, deep house and techno, right? So uh, there is that too. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, we we talked a lot about uh, the issues, the the pressure points, but let's get into actually what you do to help uh, because. You know, I know what I do. I, I meditate every day. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing is I play a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually only work typically around about, you know, three, sometimes four hours a day. Um, there are some days where I have to push because I've got a deadline and I've got to, like, just go, 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 go for it. Um, but I only typically work around three or four hours a day. And, and the reason I do that is because I maintain that most people actually only work about three or four hours a day. If you look at these um, tracking apps that track all of the different things that you use on your smartphone and on uh, the desktop, and then you look at your statistics, um, actually most people, when you average that out across uh, complete audiences of those apps, most people are actually only working, really working, like three or four hours a day. The rest of the time, they're staring at a screen constantly Um, Some people stare at the screen for so long that when they stand up, they think the whole world is two-dimensional and it takes them a little while to actually be able to judge distance again. And you get bogged down because you get mind fog and you spend all your time procrastinating on social networks and everything else and, and you actually only do a few hours of quality work. What I do instead is I do those few hours of quality work but in small bursts and in between I play. I'll go do something fun, something interesting. I'll be with my friends. We'll go out and have you know good times, or I'll just go paint something, or I'll make some music, or I'll uh, listen to music, or I'll you know go off for a walk, or you know whatever it is. It has to be work, play, work, play, work, play. because That keeps me sane and healthy. You know, what is your experience of that? and How have you managed to to balance that out?
0: Um, I think this is your your approach is very. Um, um right and open because uh, actually admitting that you're doing that amount of work daily is uh, for everybody very hard to kind of admit that's a good word still um and um it creates a lot of pressure because everybody else you see it on social networks you see it in in blog posts about um, how they call it uh, hustle porn I think also porn. everybody is like trying to prove how work, how hard they work and how many hours they spend in the office and then they post the late night stories from the office, which I do as well, obviously. But uh, but the truth is, um, and nobody else has to actually know this, but you yourself have to, have to know how much are you or, or when are you really productive and try to work out your schedule around it. Uh, for example, for me, I... Um, now I work from home because we have we have the other office in uh, in state, so I'm I'm here now. Uh, but my number one thing is that I need to get out of my apartment 9 a.m. in the morning. Wherever I go, I don't care. I can go for a walk, I can go into a cafe, I can go to visit my parents for for breakfast, whatever it is. But if I stay at home, I know that 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 day will be just ruined with with, uh, just staring into the ceiling or out of the window or playing some music and then doing nothing, uh, nothing really. Mm. So for me, I've learned and I've observed myself that that morning ritual of, of getting out of the out of the premises <laughs> at nine AM is is crucial for me to then be be productive. So it's. I think it's. And for me, I've learned that it's um, a little bit of a guilt game, yeah. and a little bit of, of uh, being proud of myself. So if I if I don't get out of the apartment before nine, I feel guilty. But then when I do, I feel a little proud of myself. Like so yes, I've done it once again. And I think this this little game of of uh, of how to play around with your mind, is is something that everybody should try. I don't think there's yeah. a real like guidance what you should do, but but that that game of of guilt and and, and uh, feeling proud is very nice.
1: It is, um, and we kind of answered a question from uh, Elvis. Elvis is in the building. Thank you. Um, and uh, so we, we we've already covered that one off. We've got some really interesting questions coming in. I want to get to some of these. Um, you know, even simple little mental tricks like. Uh, waking up in the morning and the very first thing you do is actually make your bed. Like, making your bed is a ridiculously simple mental trick that everybody can just do because it gives you an immediate sense of accomplishment first thing in the morning. You've actually done something. And and that sets you off on the right frame of mind for the rest of the day. So, you know, for me, I wake up, immediately meditate, get up, make my bed. I already feel like I've had two amazing accomplishments in the day. (laughs) And then, I'm grateful for those. Gratitude goes a long way, right? Um, You know, Actually, just spending less than a minute writing down a few things that you're grateful for at the end of the day is an incredibly powerful thing and keeps you in the right frame of mind because there is a lot for us all to be grateful for, like, every single day, without fail. Even on the worst days, there are things to be grateful for.
0: I would just like to add, because it really seems like a little, uh, maybe trivial, uh, that making a bed or, or leaving out of the apartment at certain time, but if you think about it, our society have learned by by our medicine to keeping our bodies alive for hundred years right We were made to live thirty years, but all of a sudden we have this like great I mean working bodies that work so long and and mental health is is uh, something that we need to uh, we need to know uh, or we need to. Learn how to how to be occupied for 100 years instead of 30. Right. So there is there is a there is a big gap in in in. Um I think what we really will see about, uh, about mental health coming up when it comes to maybe new technologies, approach uh, to how education will be taken, uh, taken upon, how our lives will evolve, because what, what do you do when you have kids and they're all, all grown up, and now what? <laughs> What's the ne- next goal? So there is, um, mental health is extremely important and uh, even though it sounds trivial for, for making bad, but it's, it's uh, really something that will keep us, keep us as society sane.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Alexander asks a question uh, which is deeply important, um, how do you rescue somebody from drowning mentally if you're not sure how well you can swim yourself? Um, first of all, great use of metaphors. Um, <laughs> Alexander, if you're not a writer already, come and talk to me afterwards, we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, you know, that's, I, I, I'll, I'll weigh in for a minute, and, and then Louisa, you know, give me uh, your your response to that. Um, first of all, like, knowing yourself is, is incredibly important. Um, even if, in knowing yourself, you realize uh, your failings and, and the places that you can't go that's as important as knowing the places that you can and the things that you can do. Um, you know, Maria introduced me a little bit differently because, yes, I'm a writer for VentureBeat, yes, I'm managing editor at Grit Daily, but I'm also a co-founder at an organization called Tribe of Y, which is uh, based in Marrakesh. And, and what we do is it's a completely non-tech thing. It's as far from the tech industry as you could get. Um, what we do at Tribe of Y is people come to Marrakesh They spend uh, 10 days with us, usually. And in those 10 days, we do all sorts of science-backed exercises, uh, spiritual but not sort of Burning Man, fake spirituality, like spirituality again backed by science, Um, and wisdom that's been passed down uh, from, you know, people through hundreds of years. And we help people to find their purpose in life. Um, to work out how to get there, to set their intentions, and to remove any blockages that are stopping them from being creative, from being able to, to live this life of purpose, you know, being able to reach their purpose. And, and so that's a, it's an intense process. It's something that most people don't go through in their lives. Um, and as a result, most people don't know themselves, and they don't know their failings and their, their positive areas. That they, they just don't have that understanding. Um, so having that understanding of yourself is very, very important, because then you will get a sense of whether you are a helper, whether you're a listener, whether you're somebody that can actually assist someone who you see as metaphorically drowning. Um, if you're not that person, find people that can help, the person that you've identified as having you know some kind of issue. Go talk to that person and, and say, how are you? Say hello. If you're a founder, Please consider getting, uh, you know, a therapist or a counsellor or somebody with experience to come into your organisation on, on a weekly basis and just be there for people to talk to. You know, that's so much more effective and powerful than a ping-pong table, getting somebody to come in and actually just talk from a professional perspective. That's, that's way, way more effective than putting in some kind of novelty game or, or something like that to somehow fool yourself that that's helping with people's mental health because it's, it's really not... It's good for exercise, obviously, and we, we advocate for exercise uh, because that helps. But if you can't be the one to have that conversation with people and, and, and help them, you can at least be the one to bring both people in so that they can help. What do you think, Louisa?
0: Um, from my own um, uh, kind of experience... Um Helping somebody that is mentally drowning is very hard because um, that's probably a person that you're close to because you can recognize the symptoms or you see that there is something, uh, something changing in the path. Um, the only thing that kind of helped me when I was feeling down was when a person basically mentally stripped down in front of me. So I was, I was basically listening to stories that were similar I was um, actually seeing some kind of relevancy because it's not only me who is who is having troubles, and uh, actually this person loves me enough or cares for me enough um, to say uh, the biggest secrets and pains and and whatever it is uh, out loud, and it kind of gave me gave me courage to uh, to do the same. Uh, so maybe that could be that could be a good idea to to think about is to really. Um, just lead the way and be the, the first one to talk uh, openly about what really um, bugs you and, and what's keeping you, uh, keeping you up during the nights. Oh,
1: fantastic. Um, we have a, a question here from the uh, infamous hacking group Anonymous. <laughs> Um, what is an effective way of dealing with negative comments and opinions from your closest friends or family when trying to make your own idea work? We touched on that a little bit earlier, but do you want to give any uh, specific uh, solution that you had to that problem?
0: I think I, it will for me it always comes back to perspectives uh, so if if uh, you are the one who is able to understand what could be what could be the motive or the perspective uh, that the person is using those negative comments as a way of, of communication to you. Uh, you might understand um, a little bit more about um, um, their value for you. Um, sometimes negativity is, is, is good because, for example, for me, it is very good. Um, I like it a lot because it kind of makes me go like, huh? right (laughs) and um, that's a very very good motivation and sometimes it's just it's just um, how these people are dealing with their own feelings rather than than being um, helpful to you or really um, stating something that has value for you so sometimes it's it's really um, it always is actually really about you and to understand um, the perspective and filters whether it's mood whether it's kind of uh, state of uh, state of life, whether it's uh, something that they might be jealous about you, um, which is a very normal, normal human feeling, so um, don't, don't hate them back, maybe just understand what is happening.
1: Yeah, and that's a very important point, you know, typically when people have negative comments for you, um, the negative comments are not really for you, it's actually just a mirror of themselves, uh, so they're, they're putting on you something that they're feeling. You know, the way I like to deal with uh, negative comments coming to me is to basically say, you know, okay, I really understand what you're saying, but let's talk that through because I feel like this is more about you than me and, you know, let's, let's discuss it openly. Once you discuss it openly, you actually then realize that, yes, they're actually holding up a mirror to themselves at this point, And typically what happens with me, because I am a helper kind of character, is I'll I'll assist them and help them and and we'll work through what is actually their negativity, not my negativity. Um, You know, I'm an incredibly positive person, you know that. I
0: know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm just
1: kidding. (laughs) And a lot of that is just in reframing. You know, if we think about it from a purely science-backed basis, if you reframe things in a positive way and if your brain gets used to you using positive language, Um, if we go back to the original research on neuro-linguistic programming, uh, which was Dr. Richard Bandler uh, back in the 1970s, they found that positive language, positive reframing on a regular basis actually remap the neurons in your brain. And it even affects your body language at that point. You actually start to have positive body language. And the rule of life is that the communication that you receive is entirely equivalent to what you put out. So if you put out positive body language, positive framing, positive messaging, positive vocabulary, you will typically get positive results back. So that's one thing that you can change in yourself in terms of uh, protecting yourself from negativity, because it's hard for people to be negative to you when you're a positive framer, but at the same time, when people are giving you negative, uh, you know, um, negativity in general, um, just think about whether that's actually about you or whether it's just something where if you talk it through with them, you can actually help them to reframe. Because most things can be reframed in a, in a positive way. We're not using positivity as a mask, though. It's not smoke and mirrors and we're just saying, oh, everything's happy, because then it's as bad as living a perfect social media life. But we do need to talk these things through in a more effective way. Um, one more question before we, before we wrap. Um, and this is kind of linked to this last one but uh, how do you deal with other people's disruptive emotions in the work environment um it's an interestingly worded question because i can't tell whether this person uh who is also from the famous hacking group anonymous <laughs> is saying that they're upset when people are disruptive in the work environment or if they're concerned when people are disruptive in the work environment and they want to help um, you know, but either way, yes, there are people that are disruptive. Um, how can we help those people? Uh, how can we, uh, you know, maybe assist them? How can we give them the right tools, the right environment to help them to thrive so that maybe they're not being disruptive, but that their energy can be used in much more positive ways?
0: It's, the, the question is so um, wide. Um. <laughs> It's it's very hard. First of all, I I would uh, say that disruptive emotions is something um, that you are actually judging from your point of view, because those are emotions and emotions, and it's very possible that they might not click click together, and um, that might cause the the little bit of dispute or 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 some uh, sort of miscommunication. Um, <clears throat> however, being kind is probably one of the best things that you can do and sometimes kindness melts even the angriest angriest Shrek around and uh, (laughs) uh, I think that for me that that was always always uh, the best uh, best solution to to anything anything like this because people are just not Bad by themselves, they might be bad at certain certain situation at certain stage of their life, or or just because they were brought up in in a in a hostile environment. Whatever it is, uh, kindness was always always a good uh, good solution for me, at least.
1: Yeah, I think, and you've made a, a very important point there, which is that people are generally good. Like, um, so hands up uh, if you're a serial killer. No? (laughs) Nobody? Just me. Okay.
0: I I I raised the hand. Oh, you
1: raised your hand. I I could see you. (laughs) You don't want me giving you side eye. Um, So, you know, people are generally good. People are generally, seriously, really good. Actually, we have the data on this. Did you know that we live in the, the safest time in the history of humankind right now? It doesn't matter what you see on the news and social media and the prevalence of, you know, a small issue becoming a massive worldwide global scale issue. The fact is we live in the safest times. We live um, in a world where we're actually happier than we ever have been. Um, but there are still times when uh, we have bad behaviours and it's behaviour that we can change. Um, what I would love from being able to talk to you all today about mental health, being able to uh, work with you today, Louisa, and discuss this issue. What I would love is for all of us to change our behaviour, just as we said earlier, in terms of not chastising people when they fail, in terms of lifting everybody up and and helping them to rise and level up. Uh, In terms of just sitting and talking to each other in an adult fashion about these very, very important topics, um, let's all change our behaviour from this point forward today and start a ripple wave of awesomeness across the entire globe.